with the Pope's here at the moment, so I can oh, go yeah. outside. So, yeah. Oh, that's terrible. That's yeah. great. What a legend. Uh, yeah, it's awful. So. <laughs> I, I, I'm always, I'm always cautious sometimes with the whole, uh, the shape of international leftism, especially on social media. You know, it's certain topics, you know exactly how to handle them, but something like Catholicism, you run into enough people who are like, oh, well, no, liberation theology is a good foundation of my... So it's actually been really calming to me to see that every Irish person I know is just fucking pissed that the Pope is there. I I'm absolutely like, I know fucking hate that. irony Catholics. I can't stand <laughs> them. I can't stand Twitter leftist Catholics. I hate them all. I think the Pope should be killed in a football stadium in front of cheering crowds. Uh, I think they should work their way down from there. I, yeah, no, you're, 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 it's kind of dismaying, honestly, because there's a few kind of Canadians and, and other people that are, uh, you know, vestigially connected somehow to the left or leftist people that are like, oh, you know, it's actually funny that I'm a Catholic and stuff, but it's like, not here. Um, <laughs> not here. We, we have a, no. we recently, uh, have a, discovered a septic tank full of 800 children's skeletons so it's less of a, yeah yeah yeah, yeah less of a meme here unfortunately. and that's like a tip of the iceberg kind of thing but uh, yeah anyway sorry i didn't need to derail before we started so. <laughs> oh no that's fine that's uh that's a good cold open we, right there yeah okay. we can edit that one because fuck that guy jesus fucking christ yeah it's bad it's bad do you think the pope will also die of overdosing on dream pop no, but you know who will is uh, John McCain. He's going to die. Like, probably. That's true. He's probably going to die, like, during the uh, record of this podcast. So when I, like, log off, he's going to be dead. So, um. I'll say I've got my black armband here, and when I hear, I'm just going to slip it on and raise my arms, however high he was able to raise his arms and salute him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Um, yeah, what a terrible person. I, um,. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, he's a bad man. Yeah, yeah. And the discourse around saying whether it's funny or not that uh, he's dying is very bad. Um, I'm going to say, <laughs> generated, yeah, I'm going to rate it one discourse out of ten. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, is it like, he's definitely going to die soon though, right? Oh yeah, they've taken yeah, him basically off life support. Or, or, no, okay. they're, they're not treating his brain uh, tumour. So, and it's it's a pretty serious kind of brain tumor he's got. He's got a pretty like this is like a a nine point five out of ten brain tumor. It it kills the living shit out of you. Okay, well that's yeah. good. Um, yeah, that's all right. I I think fair. Listen, uh, fair dues to him anyway. You know, it's funny because I do I do think about this John McCain dying thing uh, because I read when I was a child a lot of Michael Moore books because not a guy with friends uh, when I was, yeah, when I was about nine or 10 and <laughs> I, it made me think that I had like internalized a lot of weird um, American political minutia with no real reason and then didn't really replace that with my political minutia of my own country when I was a teenager. And um, so I'm in this weird situation now where I like, Sometimes I feel like I get jokes on Chapo Trapez if I listen to it, who's to say? Um, but also, I don't know who the fuck half the people in Ireland are. So it, it fills me with guilt, um, I have to say. Same times a thousand. Plus, I, I just got back from living in Canada for five years, so I have nothing. Well, that's no, a good excuse. Yeah. Yeah, I can just about use that as an excuse, but I've got no idea what's happening here. All of the, all of these people are just 
it's like everyone changed. It's like one of those dreams where you're in your house, but everything's slightly different. Also, yeah. everyone's worse in Britain now, which is saying oh, so much worse. And, like yeah. David Cameron was not bringing home the goods to begin with, and now they're. Well, don't you mean bringing home the bacon? Oh, yeah. Just don't take a picture. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. It's like one of those dreams where you fall asleep and then the guy who wrote Father Ted's teeth all fall out and he spells like real woman question mark with them <laughs> or whatever. Like, it is very distressing. Yeah, yeah. your death sentence for this week um, I'm still stealing Will Menneker's um, Chapo um, introduction I'm just going to keep doing that forever now I, I think I always have used that same introduction so we're on with uh, Sean McTiernan hello how's yeah. it going I was going to dub some cheers into there um, oh I wouldn't do that yeah you know but um, he's from a really, really good film podcast. Probably the only good one. Uh, n- not saying much, because there's some really shit ones out there. Um, like Gearson and Leach and How Did This Get Made and so on. But uh, his is good. Oh yeah, they're all awful. I was going to say, there's a few good ones. Unfortunately, since I started one, a few good ones have started, but none of them tellingly have pro- professional comedians on them. Um, so yeah, yeah, which is usually a kiss of death for podcasts. Yes, yeah, well, instantly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it also makes them very popular. So mm, yeah, it's a, it's a weird kiss of death. But um, yeah, so t- tell the the folks at home what the deal is with um, all units and calling all units. So I wanted there to be a podcast that takes longer to explain than the best show, but wasn't nearly as good. So that's what I've done. It's really, really circuitous to explain what happens on my podcast, but I'm going to try. So once every two weeks, I take two thrillers and I examine them on a particular theme. So at the moment I'm doing, um, fuck, I forget what I'm doing, verbs or so, yeah, verbs. Um, and I take two thrillers and I talk about them or whatever. That's all units. And then I'm calling all units. I just talk about whatever usually and more and more it's specifically about the internet so i did like an episode on why podcasting is bad or jonathan pie or stuff like that so it's uh it's kind of it's sort of a bad guardian column one week (laughs) and then a bad film blog another week and then i just kind of alternate between those two things until my 30th birthday when i get to stop because i've said i'll only do it for two years and we're deep in year two at the moment so so it's like when there's like the manic street preachers so they'll sell a million albums and quit and kill themselves kind of thing yes yeah yeah Yeah. kill himself he just disappeared and is fine (laughs) well they discovered his shoes with feet in them 
didn't they? Yeah, but they weren't they his weren't, feet. Right? Oh, they weren't his feet. No. But they were feet. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. What? <laughs> I'm kidding. Jeez. <laughs> Is that real? No, it's not. They, no. You can't, yes, they did. You can't. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh you, yeah, the, the feet bit. Yeah, it wasn't someone else's feet. That was a lie. But uh, yes. Human it, feet found in Severn, not Richie Mannix, says Enemy in 2002. Yeah. Um, oh, this is disappointing. What? Uh, um, anyway, but uh, yeah, enough wow, about they. They really know. They know how to live it up. They, good band too. Good, good band. Mostly yeah. a good band. Uh, later stuff, not so much. Well, uh, yeah, because the one guy was fucking dead. <laughs> yeah, it tends to mess with your flow. But um, <laughs> actually, some of the later stuff was pretty good. Like Design for Life is a is a jam. But um, enough about the only okay band from my home country. Um, yeah, so you came on the show, Sean, because we're going to talk about a book you suggested, then we're going to play some music you suggested. And it's going to be great, but also incredibly sad, because this book is just a... Ah, it's a knife through my heart that's made out of tears, frozen tears. But still, it's... And... Good. <laughs> it's metal in a way, you know. Oh, um, yeah. I, I th- yeah. I like this book because... Oh, well, I picked it. So the book is Disappearance Diary by Hideo Azuma. And I, I kind of picked it to see if you think it was sad. Because I, I listened to a previous episode and you said, like, good, goodbye, Pon Pon mm-hmm. was, was cute. And I, I think I was... It is. But I think I was on, like, the fourth volume where it gets increasingly less so... Yeah, um, I've uh, I've, I've read, read I, I've read all seven, and it's pretty not cute by the end. Okay, I've I only read the first. Come on, yeah. give, give to me be a break. Fair, the first is pretty cute. It the first is cute yeah, as fuck. Yeah. He's a little bird man. He has little yeah. adventures. Well, no, I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not correcting you. I just thought it was interesting that that was. It reminded me of this basically because this is a really really weird book. Because the guy who wrote it and drew it is known primarily for basically inventing the most embarrassing thing about manga, mm-hmm. um, yep. which is yeah, which is like Lolicon writer Lolita complex or Moe as it's called now. I think I'm going to get a lot of the manga details wrong now, which is unfortunate because I know people who know a lot of man- about manga, but I don't. But but this book is about him like disappearing at three separate points over a 10-year period uh, because of psychological problems. And um, he wrote, like, an autobiographical comic about it. Um, So, yeah. And it's kind of... On the back, it says... uh, What does it say on the back again? Oh, yeah, this manga has a positive outlook on life, so it has been made with as much realism removed as possible, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Um, But did you enjoy it? I did, yeah. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And, I read it in one big, very depressing sitting. <laughs> yeah, I, I think same, actually. It, it's quite quick to get through. Say 200 pages, and manga, you can just, like, 200 pages, a couple of hours to read. De- a lot of times you don't need to be able to read, to read manga. No. It, I think a good... Yeah, sometimes it's uh, it helps. Yeah, I mean, I am sitting beside a bookcase genuinely a a full bookcase full of manga that I technically can't read because I can't read kanji but I do own it because I like looking at it you know 
Um, so, I mean, I could get really boring and Scott McLeod and talk about, oh, you know, sequential art. But I do just like looking at the pictures, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it is definitely a one-read, one-and-done experience, I think. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, I don't really know. Do either of you read a lot of comics or is this like – because I know you don't oh, talk about many of them yeah. on the show. Oh, yeah. No, I uh... – I read uh, a holy shitload. Um, I have a weekly date with uh, with my partner where we go get coffee and then go to a, a comic shop and I pick up uh, me and they pick up uh, new comics and uh, collections, manga, stuff like that. And we okay. normally walk out with like two to five each a week, and you can get wow. through them pretty quick. So it's like yeah. you know well, mm-hmm. to, to verify that I'm not made of money. I don't do anything else for the remainder of the week. That's that's the one thing that I do. Yeah, same here. Same here. Like, I, I went to comic conventions in two separate countries last year, and I think I looked like one of those people on Instagram that sometimes is in Dubai for reasons they can't explain. Um, I was also in Dubai last year, actually, for reasons I can't explain, so that's interesting. But anyway, I also have... That's the only thing I do, is I acquire books, and that's it. So I do... I do empathize with that. I I used to read tons of comics, like masses. And then I just stopped one day, and I don't know quite why. Although I I mentally um, justified it to myself by saying I was pissed off with DC redoing their universe for like the fifth time. And that meant I had to stop all forms of sequential art. But that's a really stupid re- reason to do anything, and I know that's not the reason, but I still don't know what the reason for me not never reading comics again was. Well, I think, so, and this touches, uh, we can loop back to this comic with a little tidbit that you told me before we started recording. A lot of the big side of, uh, well, now, now there's things like comicsology and um, apps like that that make, that make reading comics a little bit easier to... Uh, a little bit easier to do. One, there's obviously the physical, and they take up an enormous amount of space, and no one reads comics by buying, like, one collected thing. Uh, and then that's it. Like, it it pretty quickly escalates, especially if you're reading any of the big two um, from America. You just, the comics multiply, like, fucking naps. And then same with a lot of manga, um, unless you're reading specifically the single volume ones, those can uh, exponentially multiply pretty quick. The other thing is the cost of comics, where even when they're being very, uh, even with, say, like Marvel or DC, or uh, uh, Dark Horse also does this a bit, where like the first volume will be about 10 bucks, um, that's still, unless you want to read only the first volume and immediately stop you're now kind of mentally on the hook for 15 to 20 bucks every volume after that. And with manga, it's the same kind of thing with paying anywhere between 10 and 20 bucks for, uh, for a volume, sometimes more if it's one of the fancier, like Viz signature edition ones, um, or like some of the vertical or, uh, Kodansha, uh, releases that are a little bit blame recently. And is like, really big, nice uh, collective editions. Each of those is like 
Oh, yeah, break it up. Uh, and then there's this book, uh, which oh, there's this book, which uh, which you were telling me goes uh, for a little over a grand. Mm, yeah, if you want to go on Amazon, uh, then yeah, you can score yourself a copy of this for a grand. Um, it's uh, so Sean was really nice to send us digital versions of this, which is like saved me a fair bit of money. Um, yes, yeah. Well, I thought you know, um, I I I bought it. I think um, for a grand. No, I bought it in. Um, I bought it in. Uh, <laughs> I bought it for one million dollars. What's the comic shop in London called? Not Gosh. Is it Gosh? Yes, I think it's Gosh Comics um, in London for half price. I think like it was like eight quid or something. Uh, maybe like three or four years ago. So I guess. They need to go online more or something, but um, I, I find that's often the way with many of the rare comics I own, where I've been able to buy them in brick and mortar places pretty cheaply or reasonably. Like I have Territoid Heights by Matt Brinkman, um, which is would cost me forty dollars, and um, it's a small comic, and you'd probably look at it and be like, forty dollars is a lot to pay for that, but apparently you can sell it for like three grand or something. Nice. Um, so there's a lot of that. I usually annoy my yeah, wife by like picking up stuff. Around. Yeah, I usually annoy my wife by picking up stuff and going, "Do you know how much I could sell this for on the internet?" And she's like, "You, you will never sell any of these." And I'm like, "I know, but like, imagine if I if I sold this, we'd have so if much." If I sold it, yeah. I just I feel bad because there's didn't definitely say when people. Sell it. Yeah, there's definitely people like I know or know of who sold, printed out a comic and like broke even. But they went on to do something, maybe even like two or three years later, like say um, Adventure Time was a big thing. A lot of people got hired by Adventure Time to do, to direct episodes like Michael DeForge or whatever. And their self-produced art that they, that they made only a couple of years before is now going for like 20 or 30 times the price on eBay. And it must really fucking suck for them um, <laughs> to to not make that money off it. So I hope they're keeping several copies back of everything they make and profiteering themselves but it is a bit cutthroat that way yeah but uh let's like get into the story a bit and Mm. how about we start with just um what what's you mentioned this dude invented lollicon yeah so let me let's have a little bit of a like overview of this dude's career (laughs) and um his significance in the world of manga Okay, um, so his name is Hideo Azuma, um, and as it says, I think either in the book or an article I read about the book, he's not one of the mangaka, like manga guys that you like hear about outside of uh, Japan as much as say like Otomo or um, or you know uh, <laughs> Otomo yeah, again or anyone else. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Tezuka or whatever. Tezuka's in this book actually um, briefly, but uh, but yeah. Be- that's primarily because he sort of, um, it seems to be, well, he's, the stuff you rarely see reissues of, unless they're historically important from the eras he made stuff in, right, the 80s and 90s, um, unless they're related to a big property or they're, historic, or, or they're like stuff from Garrow, like kind of artistic Gekiga stuff that gets reissued. But this kind of like mainstream thing he did, genre stuff, not so much. Also, this style of art, which... Uh, was I think he he even made the first like 
like definitively I hate the word lollycon but I guess I'm going to keep saying it mm-hmm. lollycon manga um which is this kind of I don't know it's a, it's a the initial idea of it is like slightly debated by I think people who want to try really hard not to be perverts right but it's like um oh it's like you draw a young girl like like yeah yeah you draw like a young girl by accentuating both her childlike features while also drawing her like an idealized version of a woman a grown woman as well because you want to uh, it basically it's pornographic stuff with very very young uh, girls in it like that's that's the a lot of the stuff he had didn't have porn in it but did have this type of character design um but what I found interesting is he just doesn't really mention this in the book at all. Um, like the, the the book we're talking about, Disappearance Diary, is about his disappearing from depression or whatever. But one of the things I thought was really interesting that does not get mentioned, lots of stuff doesn't get mentioned in the book. That's kind of what the book is about for me mainly. But it is around the time he first disappeared, there was this famous case where this guy kidnapped and murdered children and was inspired yeah, oh, by I think I've, yeah, I've heard about that yeah it's like had a, a big uh... collection of lollycon manga or whatever apparently I'm probably misremembering this now but I'm pretty sure it's the same year he got, he goes into his first depressive funk oh. in the book so, yeah he mentions you know. the whole lolly thing for like two seconds yeah yeah he, he does actually mention that very briefly when the cops uh, stop him at one point uh, I think in the first um uh, but yeah, they mentioned that, uh, he just offhandedly mentioned like the time and I kind of sent the, uh, they found out it wasn't me. So they let me go. And then he never brings it up again. Yeah. Sorry. I totally, that slipped my mind completely, but he does. Yeah. He does bring that up. Sorry. I, I uh, I had for some reason thought he alighted that completely, <laughs> but yeah, cause he brings up his whole, like he mentions again in a really offhanded way towards the end. He's like, Oh, this isn't like the high school girls I like or something. Like mm, and kind yeah. of like moves yeah. on, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very weird. It's it's to me, it is like the big unspoken thing because there's a couple of unspoken things that hang over the book, right? It's mainly this whole lollycon idea, and also the just lack of showing his family in any way, or like how much he, how much the the stuff that happens, which I guess we'll get to in a second, um, affects them or affects the people around him because they're these kind of the three sections which is him going uh kind of going missing or or living uh as a homeless person in in his town and then eventually he's found and the police make him draw one of his pictures to prove it's him and then bring him back to his family and then he goes missing again for a longer period and like becomes a pipe fitter um oddly and then it's again is found again I think eventually and then because uh, he suppose his prints were on a bike or something and then he uh, he gets checked into a a rehab in the third section for being a, a pretty bad alcoholic I think he's he talks a lot about the kind of threat of death from psoriasis in which doesn't sound very cheerful um, mm. I'll be honest with you and put like that but the main thrust of the book are these kind of like I guess comic ish vignettes of him doing like the process oriented stuff around foraging for food as a homeless person or learning to be a pipe fitter or talking to people in a secure ward, all kind of rendered with the same sort of uh, 
aloof, cartoony kind of sense of humor. Mm, yeah. See, now, while while I would agree that he renders it like a joke, I, I, I would say it is still fantastically depressing. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's gonna, gonna, it's worse uh, for that one. it's more depressing <laughs> for being uh, because you know he's having to do this, like having to have this distance between his experiences and what comes out, and it yeah, it's somehow more depressing for being in this like cute cartoon style. It's it, it would be, I think. We've we've all kind of seen that kind of um, misery memoir, James Frey leaving Las Vegas kind of story before, and it being in this cute thing is just um, yeah, it, it makes it worse somehow. Not worse as in yeah, quality, it, it, worse yeah, in there, emotional impact. There's a slight filmic touch to it where he says that, um, and it comes up not just in. The very first page and the very last page both say, um, this manga has a positive outlook. So I've changed some details. Uh, and there's an interview in the back and he talks about admitting, uh, quote, the truly dreadful parts. Um, really? And he, he nudges. Yeah. It's like, what could be? Insane person from the front cover to the very back cover. But the fact that he slightly, he keeps acknowledging, like, oh, no, there's this, this is a veneer over how terrible my my whole life These are just moments that I let um, crop up. When things that he finds funny are someone taunting him with the potential death of psoriasis or foraging for unsmoked cigarette butts and uh, moldy food so that he can uh, cook and eat it and not get too sick. Um, and you're like... These are the parts he thought were funny enough to include and were terribly different. It, it adds that, um, disquieting sense of, almost mirrors sort of, uh, the way drunkenness can make you oblivious to how horrible your life is due to, uh, your substance abuse. Cause you're not sober enough to realize that shit is totally hit the fan. Yeah. And yet, I think, you know, I think like, the, you the solipsism, no, oh, sorry, go ahead. So, uh, part of what I do for, for prep for these is I'll talk through whatever I've just read to my partner to try to sort my thoughts out beforehand and it up to them. Their immediate reaction was, I mostly feel bad for, for having to deal with her husband having understandable but severe issues and then disappearing First for a couple months, and then the next time for, like, almost a year. Um, and then having to be forced hospitalized for uh, for the severity of his alcoholism. And that touches on what you are saying before, John, about how it's this ever-present thread that there's this really it's, uh, dramatic of you are aware of this other dramatic drama going on of the life of his family of him as an alcoholic carries over even to him relaying the tales of his alcoholism and stress and that it's the constant occluded 
story. Like, how fucking frightening that was here. Uh, and then find out he's been living in a park. And only find out because cops tell her, like, yeah, we think your husband may have uh, killed some kids. But turns out, no, he's actually fine. Yeah, there's a point where I think um, he mentions someone, I think it was in the interviews, uh, someone who looks like him, a body who looked like him being found, and his wife having to deal with that while he was, you know, in the woods scraping mold off stuff. That's, yeah, like his family is just, and I think I, I read the Wikipedia, his Wikipedia entry, It's that's pretty much all the... Uh, um, prep work i did but he had uh, kids as well and they were his yeah uh, he had kids that are just not mentioned at all in the or they're barely mentioned i think yeah. but yeah like it's it's pretty i mean like look this is a bit weird but he kind of says later on in the book he keeps saying that he's really bad at drawing backgrounds now that's obviously just true but it did i did find it interesting that he kept saying like yeah i just don't do i just don't do backgrounds that well and i kind of don't you know like and he kept like it's about foregrounding his own experience it really reminded me of like even if you look at how the initial pages are drawn there's some beautiful renderings of the landscape and stuff from where he is but it really does focus on these like comical actions or just the things that are happening to him i mean there's a big tradition or whatever in manga of really really process oriented stories like be it about like most of them are about competitions i guess or, or something else like that like you know about a uh, cooking or gambling there's a whole subgenre of gambling manga that's really good because it's mainly just like a really satisfying episode of morse more or less um but like he uh he does all these process oriented things and how to cook and everything like that and it's just because it kind of does show how he's alighting the greater misery of what he's doing, you know, because if he thought for, you know, if he actually considered it, I get the feeling that it would be very, very tough to deal with or impossible, you know, but it's still a massively like it, it is interesting. The kind of tension between how he uh, shows himself as selfish and how selfish he's actually being, which is probably several degrees more. Mm. Um, and he kind of paints himself as this sort of, uh, comical boob instead of like an emotional kind of abuser <laughs> despite like the stuff he does is clearly like it's one thing to disappear you know like that's that is a thing that happens people have psychotic breaks or have difficult times for whatever reason and end up disappearing but he like starts a second life like he like rents an apartment and trains as a pipe fitter like that's just b bizarre you know like for a year and then like kind of sort of gets bored but before he does that he writes into his works in like internal newspaper as a artist and gets like a comic published in their thing like it's yeah, yeah it's and really strange the but, way that when he relayed that the pipe players newsletter it almost read like he was trying to get caught like he was even trying to self-destruct this new life that he'd made for himself. Like he never intended for it to develop the way that it had. And he became frightened of this, this new thing before he annihilated it in the same way that uh, he had his old life. It was this like really depressing like when that came together. And then he never mentions uh, for, uh, 
until a good bit later that like yeah they they never figured out who I was um it only became uh when someone brought up a colored piece of paper and had him draw a little doodle um and then write dream on it that uh he was like yeah yeah they finally uh yeah they finally pieced it together yeah but I mean at the same I think, time, he. I think a relevant. Oh, go on. Now, are you going? At the same time. Oh, I, a. Uh, oh, sorry. A, do we do we agree who gets to go on? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, you go on. Ugh, we're scattered today. <laughs> so at the same time, he is kind is a lot of times pretty likable. And those like early scenes where he's living in the woods and um, scavenging for food and scavenging for alcohol, it, it's it's kind of fun a lot of the time, and it, it gets pretty oh, yeah. funny. It, it's a, a funny book as well. It's um, I, I usually don't connect to the humor in a lot of manga or even anime. It's probably because I'm racist or something. But sure, yeah. But um, I. I found this like really quite funny, and it's uh, and and again, it's someone who's emotionally abusive and who's got a lot of issues using that as a to soften the blow a bit. But still, it's you know, it's uh, it was a funny book. Yeah, I think it's aware so- as well, like of how the balance between this being like. Like, as we're saying, it is pretty harrowing when you put it in context what happens to him. But if you look at, like, American autobiographical comics in the 90s, like, stuff like, or North American, say, because, like, Seth or Joe Mash or, you know, stuff like that, or Judy, well, Judy decides a bit better, but specifically Seth and Joe Matt, actually, in American Splendor, that guy, um, it's a lot of guys with their hands in their pockets talking about, you know, getting condescended to at the record store for 30 pages mm-hmm. and... Like, they have a sense of humor. You know, they're drawing themselves in a cartoony way, but you still get this edge of portentousness. Well, in some respects, in a small way, and for some of them, it's obvious and gigantic. Um, Like, um, I thought a bit, you know, it's very different. I thought about Chester Brown's comic paying for it. I don't know if you've read that. I haven't, no. Um, Yeah, it's about him, his experiences with sex workers. Um. I would class myself as being very pro-sex worker and very anti-Chester Brown, and that would only be borne out by his bizarre views in this book. Um, one of the things he does, which I actually thought paired pretty well, or, or, or is an interesting contrast with Disappearance Diary, is he kind of infamously, in paying for it, didn't draw the faces or any identifying um, kind of characteristics of any of the sex workers he spoke about because he said he feared it would lead them to be identified. Now, he's not exactly a police sketch artist, right? And it was pretty clear, well, maybe not purposely, but that the dehumanizing aspect of it was a big, big appeal, had a big appeal to him. And this kind of only ramped up, um, you know, when he was doing this actual comic about it and like, it was, it's really creepy when you think of it in that sense, right? That this guy, um, I think the, the person he's been with for eight or nine years, he has a, um, financial arrangement with and doesn't allow her to have any other customers or something. It's very strange. Um, but in disappearance diary, he draws occasionally 
will break the style he's drawing in and draw women like one of his kind of celebrated art style characters. Mm, um, just, yeah. Yeah, just out of nowhere. And I, and especially if he thinks they're yeah. attractive. And I thought, and uh, he doesn't draw his family or his wife like that. And I thought uh, that was extremely weird as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's his, basically his wife looks like a female version of him. She's like frumpy and kind of, yeah, you can tell he doesn't have a particularly high opinion of her looks wise. But uh, the nurses and uh, just random women it's, on the street, uh, they all look like, yeah, anime heroines. So the, the woman, the woman that they run into on the one pipeline job, where she comes out of uh, comes out of the house in like a sundress with a towel around her hair, and he draws her like I was like, oh, we're about to get a creepy romance subplot where he cheats on his wife. Oh no, she just goes back inside. Okay, um, because yeah, the the way the art was uh, leaning made it seem like they were about to have more of a a moment than than they wound up having. Yeah, that was the first time that it clicked in my head of like, oh, this guy's using a really, really gross lens on his world. Oh, go boy. Go good. Well, gross in the misogynistic sense, not gross in the other senses that have already been touched on. Um, Uh, Contextualizing thing, I think, for what he was going through, because he touches on it a little bit in the tail end of the second part of this book. But, um, I'm a a big old nerdy shit baby, and I read the thousand-page uh, manga biography of uh, Tezuka, um, and that goes in a lot more detail about what life as a mangaka was like, especially in the 60s and 70s, yeah. where in order to get by, you'd be signed to anywhere between like one to five uh, monthly magazines. It's also worth keeping in mind that the magazines at that time were like they were sold as like kids magazines, but they were normally over 200 pages long and would add up in order to compete with each other. They would start having supplements of like, Oh, it's a little eight page one, one shot by this famous artist that's in there. And then other magazines would go, well, we have 16 pages for our supplement. And then someone else would be like, we have 40 pages for a supplement. And eventually it got to the point where the amount of supplements were so big that it made the, the magazine bulged like a football when they would typically shrink wrap them. And so magazines from that time period, I, I forget the name for it, but it translates roughly to football because you'd be buying a single like 200 page magazine of all original material and it would be filled with an additional like one to 200 pages of supplements. Um, and in order to get all of that out, they would literally like, and he, he discusses like having 130 finished pages due every month, um, which is just a fucking insane rate. Um, and some people had it much worse. Like it, it wasn't uncommon for Mangaka to die of exhaustion in this time period or to yeah. die of alcohol abuse or amphetamine abuse. Um, editors would also routinely literally kidnap Mangaka and check them into hotels against their will, and then guard the door until they got their pages. And if you had multiple editors, they'd be trying to find you to re-kidnap you and put you in their hotel that they paid for so that you could finish their pages. And, like, uh, in the uh, Tezuka uh, biography, he winds up talking about how at one point he hired lookalikes in order to basically get kidnapped for him so that he could work at his own pace. Um... (laughs) 
And nice. so this insanely brutal life that only really started to get better in the 80s after literally a rash of mangaka deaths. And then in the 90s, it started to, to cool off a bit. But that's where, like, um, this is also where, like, the guy who makes One Piece is forced to go on a vacation for two months out of the year by his publisher because they don't want him to die. Um, Like they literally cease publication and force him to go on a vacation, but only because he's such a major cash cow. Other, other artists, um, it's still a really horrible industry. It's not unlike the American uh, animation industry where, when they decide they like your show, they basically like grind you to dust for like five weeks and then you're done mm. and then you're unemployed. Um, yeah, well, video games so on uh, that was the video yeah. games at the end of the production cycle where everyone's working 23 hour days, seven days a week and no one's died yet. No one's been kidnapped, but um, it's people. Well, don't I think like it's, grind. it's probably, it's probably quite like that as well. Cause I think because of all those deaths, and this could be, I could be wrong here, but because of all those deaths, there's like a huge amount of assistance now, and just they get treated like shit, and the guy who actually draws yeah. it like, yeah, like, I, I mean, um, there are people whose names are on uh, manga that they're ostensibly drawing, that are maybe drawing, like, the face in a couple of uh, in a couple of pages, and, like, directing what's happening, and there's, like, 30 people you've never heard of working themselves to death trying to put it out every month. Um, the, uh, the manga I Am a Hero, the like zombie one, um, oh, which yeah. is very hard to pitch to people because it's about zombies, but it's actually very good. Um, that the guy, the protagonist of that, is an assistant on like a bad hentai comic, and uh, I think, and it's just brutally depressing that they all have to sit around this one guy who's a creep and just <laughs> cater to his every whim. He comes in at eleven and leaves at two, and they're there, you know, eighteen hours a day. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty grim. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's not necessarily to justify the actions of the guy in Disappearance Diary, but I think that does contextualize, like, his alcoholism and his mental breakdown and his his desire to flee that life at any cost, no matter what he loses, I think at least begins to make sense. It doesn't make it good, but it's like any kind of capitalistic or like any kind of life under uh, the brutality of capitalism, it's this double indictment of how fucked up a world must be to drive someone to do something that brutal and inhumane to the people who love him. Because he feels like there's no way out. Granted, he also invented Lollicon, so, you know, it's it's hard to be incredibly sympathetic. Um, But... Yeah, um... We'll get into a bit more of that, but how about first we break up the uh, misery by playing a, a song, and Sean has been nice enough to um, suggest some for us. There's a, a band called Candy and another band named Noose Rot. And Noose Rot, I think I've played on here before, but um, they're both awesome. Uh, so... I think we'll do candy first, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Do you want to tell me a bit bit about them? Because I never heard of them before. Um, and they seem candy. Pretty... Yeah, they're pretty good. They're 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 a. I think they're on 
triple B, I say, as that's definitely incorrect. Um, but yeah, they're a hardcore band. They do crucially like, well, like every hardcore band now that people like, they're extremely heavy and they, um, have the Japanese hardcore thing everybody likes with the reverb on the vocals, but they like, they do a lot of stuff. Other people, I think the members are from, Maybe one of the guys in Furies and Candy, I can't remember, but like they're from, they're, they have been in other bands as well, but they have this very, very strange, not strange, but they have this very specific aesthetic that they're going for. Their merch, I think I remember seeing was like BMW logos with Candy written on it. Like it looked purposely very bad and they sell out of all of it immediately because of course they do. But they're, I don't know, I just think they're of all of that sort of bubbling up brutal hardcore at the moment they are like the one i like the most and as well like the lyrics and the album art and stuff are very interesting kind of in i think they made some weird fake kind of beck sounding demo if i remember recently anyway they're they're interesting they're an interesting prospect more than just being like these guys are doing some solid breakdowns you know they've got a lot of stuff going on so. the album art on uh, candy says for example lovely piece of work is a uh, painting of a guy going down on a woman in some garbage while a dog is watching and she's on a mobile phone and he's like looking at the camera it it's yeah it's vile and it's really nice uh go it goes quite well with this with this book i think and their um the new album has some sort of like early 90s techno uh compilation thing with like these terrible 3d graphics it's um yes that's the one i was thinking of yeah, that, yeah. that's the beck one i know beck might be i remember it just having a lot of i think it's kind of maybe taking the piss out of code orange and vein a little bit by having electronic bits in it but maybe it's not taking the piss but it does seem like again the weirder end of that including I don't know, the guy from Slipknot with spikes on his head soundboard and hardcore, which is very popular now. Um, yeah, like it's kind of the odder reaction to that. Cool. So, yeah, this is going to be Rhythm of Roses of Candy Says by Candy.
that was Rhythm of Roses by Candy on Candy Says, which has some disgusting uh, album art, and their other stuff sounds like Vain. So, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't, sure. no. <laughs> Sorry, but, uh, I'm just worried they'll come and get me. Um, having seen them, I'm, I'm genuinely afraid of It's like a harm's way level. I better not say anything bad about that band. They're out there somewhere, you know. It's... Is, is anyone in that band as utterly fucking shredded as the front man from Harm's Way? Is anyone on Earth? I, I think we'd have to go to Dragon Ball Z to get people that like the guy from Harm's Way, so no, I'm going <laughs> to... He, he does look like Broly. Yeah, he does. I wouldn't say it to him, I but yeah, to he a, does. I went to a hardcore festival. Uh, this is a very brief story, and it was, it was like eight hours long, which is way too fucking long for a hardcore festival, but there were also like there were like 16 bands or something. So the sets were all nice and punchy. Um, and that is relevant to the next part, which is uh, Harm's Way came on. And within 30 seconds of their first song, someone cold clocked my friend right in the face. Yep. That'll happen. I mean, it's right there in the band name, you know. Um, yep. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's really their fault. So uh, yeah. I don't want to be victim blaming, but sometimes the victim is to blame. Tough enough. Yeah, I wanted, like... I wanted to fight that person, but then I was told that in hardcore, sometimes the cold clock you, and I was like, "This is why I'm a metalhead." I think the riffs were very good, though. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Crowd killing is definitely yeah. the excuse I use for staying at home. That and not knowing about any hardcore gigs in Dublin until months after they're on. But yeah. Um, I will say the guy in Harm's Way <laughs> performs with a balaclava, which reads very different to me than it probably does to him, <laughs> which I always think is kind of funny. Um, but yeah. yeah. In the um, Australian hardcore scene, people who want to express their like um, admiration for band will uh, piss in their own mouths. Um, just like whip their dick out and kind of make a like arc going into their own mouths just to, yeah. Is that really? I hope, yeah. I'm going to pretend that's real. Yeah, no, I've I've, I've heard multiple people tell tell me about this. You don't have to pretend. Yeah, this I, is uh, verified. I, True facts stated. I, I can't. I can't. I can't believe this. This is. Um, well, it happens. We there are we enough Irish people in Australia that I would believe you. <laughs> I, I I'm going to assume having met people here, I can see somebody. Catching the Holy Spirit and deciding, I know what I'll do. Um, so yeah, maybe. I'm sure there's going to be a YouTube video of it somewhere. Maybe a compilation of them. Oh. But um, yeah, let's go back into Disappearance Diary and and into manga in general. Because apart from Good Good by Pun Pun, I've not. <laughs> I think that's the only manga I own. And if it's one of the very, very, very few I've read in comparison to Western comics and just stuff in general, like I, and I've watched a fair bit of anime in my life. Um, usually, find whenever I like in a particularly bad depression, I go to anime. That's why I've recently watched all of the Dragon Ball Z films, so I know who Broly is now. <laughs> so that's uh. a pretty. No- arc in my life as well that's uh, sadly relatable <laughs> to me yeah i don't know what it is about <laughs> anime specifically and that um you know whenever i'm feeling down i go i go for the anime on and there's a lot on netflix now so it's very easy for me to just to have to scratch that itch but um i think it's because there's a lot of it and not a lot happens 
most of the time. You know what I mean? That's what I find if I'm like reading something and I'm like, man, this episode is literally getting that guy from there to over here in 25 minutes. All right. You know, like there's, I mean, there's somewhere, you know, like something like psychopaths or whatever that is like, don't know, this is all planned out and stuff, but there's definitely filler episodes. I think are always very, I think the defining thing of my childhood that I was mostly sick and out of school was watching filler episodes of Dragon Ball Z when nobody else that was in my school would believe it existed because <laughs> only I was seeing it two days a week or whatever because I was so sick I couldn't go in. So, um, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's quite it's got a soothing quality, all right. Hmm. That um, yeah, disappearance diary though, that's got a whole other quality. I, uh, so I, I found this. So so I found this. Uh, I have a I have a briefly uh, horrifically depressing tale uh, to to tell about why I found this so profoundly affecting. Um, so the the artist of this was born the same year as my father in 1950, um, and my dad also struggled very very severely with alcoholism for um, pretty much my entire life uh, until he passed away about five years ago. Um, and a lot of the instances of like incredibly irrational behavior that makes perfect sense to the to the addict, but no sense at all to the people outside of it. And then when they relay it to you later from a sober state of mind, you you get what they were going through. And then the lingering question of like, but why were you willing to do that to, to us? And the answer is like, I didn't think of you like I was totally wrapped up in this like pseudo world uh, created by by addiction and intoxication and things like that even down to the points of like what it's like for someone to be institutionalized for alcoholism and the bizarre kinds of treatments that they put you through and the really intense atmosphere that's like it's meant to be calming to be around people that are dealing with the same issue but instead you get random things like what happened in here where a guy uh, checks himself out, relapses, and then gets hit by a bus. And they're like, yeah. we never heard from him again. And it's like, yeah, because he died. <laughs> um, or like for, for, for me and my family, it was a guy that we went to family meetings with um, who one day got drunk, and when he was going to be pulled over by a cop, he drove to his home, withdrew a knife from the house, and like stalked towards the police vehicle, and then they shot and killed him. And it was just coming in one week to find out, like, where's he? And they're like, oh, he was killed by cops. And we're like, what? Um, so, like, the, like, casual intensity of that kind of world. Where, like, it'll be, like, random normal day. That guy's fucking dead from some insane, brutal thing. They forgot my pills. Uh, and, like, it was the uncanny any nature of the way that he relays this story is so superbly accurate to what life with a family member who has addiction or life with addiction to the point where you're getting institutionalized and things like that winds up being of just like he can casually slip in something that would be like horrifically harrowing in the midst of all these uh like gags and you know, little jocular things because it it becomes so normalized to your experience that the thought of like holy shit maybe the reader isn't ready for this it do, like it doesn't occur to you at all because it's like no no that's what 
like I'm certain for him, he was writing this in the uh, the mid 2000s. He's like, yeah, no, that just was what my life was like for that decade. I, it was just terrible. <laughs> yeah, it seems we have like there's like two interpretations of the vast difference between the form and the content. One that he's knows that he's a terrible person. If he told this story straight, we'd all realize he's a horrible, horrible person. And two that like this form. It's not actually the wrong um, form for the content. It's actually, like you said, it's it's perfect to have this cartoony, cutesy style for something so crazy because the whole thing kind of has to be hyper-normalized, to use Adam Curtis's term. Um, yeah, Sean, what's your take on take on that? Yeah, I think it's 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 um, oh, a combination of the two. So I'm right either way. No, uh, I think it's uh, it's definitely you're right. I think like per, like there's an interesting other manga which I don't even really would recommend anyone read apart from in this context. But it's called Insufficient Direction, and it's by a woman called uh, I'm holding it now so I can see uh, Moyoko Ano, but she's married to. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, she's married to Hideki, yeah, Hideki Anno, the guy who uh, directed Neo Genesis Evangelion, and I think really? Shin Godzilla. What's that? I've, I've never heard of uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Is that, is that, a, All right. is that an, imagine, an anime? Or? Um, <laughs> Sorry, it's a, a joke on my yeah. the, uh, psychotic obsession with that show, but um, carry on. Yeah. So so anyway, let's pretend we've heard of this guy, um, and... Uh, <laughs> It's it's from the point of view of his wife about dealing with living with a huge nerd, but she is also clearly a nerd as well. But it is it. I don't know. Have have either of you read it? No, I, I haven't. Yeah, uh, my so my partner did a huge um, like a huge uh, like research thing about Hideaki on it. You know, um, spun off of uh, encountering Evangelion for the first time, which. Uh, Fucks up everyone's brain when it hits them. Oh, that yeah. first impact, boom, <laughs> deep cut, deep cut. <laughs> uh, and yeah, uh, they wound up um, digging that up and acquiring it, and then we both read it. Um, also, there was a lot of uh, yeah, yeah. He did, her, his, anyway, his, she draws herself as a baby which I always think is a very strange choice. So she draws him as a cartoon nerd with a giant pot belly, but herself as a baby, um, sort of having tantrums and stuff at him. Um, it is definitely not how I would choose to say, illustrate my relationship with my partner. <laughs> um, but it is, it feels kind of, uh, bleakly honest while also just being like a wacky joke. Um, I think, I think there's a much bigger um, there's a much bigger tradition in manga of ca- caricaturing the the creator caricaturing themselves. Like there's this thing I think it's called a make where um, mangaka like draw themselves and like talk about like trivial things that happened when they were doing the manga. They usually like you know they'll draw themselves the same every time. Like one guy will do like. I'm a bear or, you know, like I look like this, like the, how they all have caricatures of themselves and um, they'll do like little diary things at the back of comics. And often these are like really, really trivial, silly things. And you'll have read something really heavy, you know? Um, I don't know if these end up in collections a lot. 
Uh, I think I've seen them mostly in illegal scanlations that they translate them as well. But anyway, there's like a bigger, you know, tradition of that. So there's this kind of malleability with not really the truth, but this kind of facility with creating um, an autobiographical version of yourself that is has this light, weird tone that I think this is kind of like an extension of in a way. So he does and doesn't, you know, he does, he's clearly, he knows, I mean, he says it at one point, he says, we won't, you know, he moves on from something cause it's just sad. Um, but I think he's definitely aware, but that sense of zeroing in on like, you know, every single step of putting together a meal of discarded food or when he like, uh, finds the oil can, pokes holes in it, puts smaller cans in it, lights a fire and makes ramen. And then this, then people see the fire and then he has to put the fire out and run away. Like 20 pages of that or whatever, instead of dealing with the greater emotional arcs. Like that definitely seems like he's like, no, this is what it's like living at that time. Whereas Western, again, because I don't really like those autobio comics. I think that the modern guy who does them in a relatively interesting way is Noah Van Skyver, um, whose brother is Ethan Van Skyver, if anyone is familiar with internet Nazis. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, But Noah Van Skyver is a kind of hands in pockets, uh, pictures himself in hands in pockets, autobio comic. He does other stuff as well. He did a biography of Lincoln and that kind of thing. Um, But uh, he, it has that same sort of self-effacing thing. Actually, he does a thing called Fante Bukowski, which is like a piss take of one of those Bukowski guys who thinks he's, you know, I mean, I don't have to elaborate on what that guy is like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so he calls himself Fante Bukowski. And that comic, weirdly, that comic is actually probably closer to Disappearance Diary than just the straight autobio stuff Van Skyber does. And it's this kind of knowingly exaggerated version that of what's clearly supposed to be himself in a way, you know, and um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it is on that register, but I do think, yeah, I just, just think it's a very specific um, sensibility and the absence is definitely what makes it horrible. But I, I do think he knows that, you know, like he does know, and he's not doing, yeah. he's not drawing it like this is a copy. This is like how he draws and how, not even how he draws, but how he presents fiction, you know. Um, we're just lucky that there's no sexualized children in it, I guess. Um, but yeah, so that's 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 pretty much it. Yeah, the only um, Western comic of, that I immediately landed on when I read this was uh, The Pervert, which came out earlier this year. And I had the um, writers on this show, in fact. Nice people, Remy Boydell and Michelle Perez. Lovely, lovely people. And um, that I, I have either of you read that one? That... I haven't, unfortunately. I really want to, it's really but good. like, oh, yeah, so I good. bought a lot of comics off uh, Japanese Yahoo auctions. <laughs> I'll be frank with you. This is what happened. I bought a lot of comics off Japanese Yahoo auctions. <laughs> the shipping was a lot of money. You sound like an addict to explain a horrible yeah. discovery. <laughs> oh, like, no, no, no. You. I can, I can explain this. <laughs> <laughs> It was very much that's how it felt. Um, I came back from my home <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll buy this. And then the shipping was basically the same cost as the thing again because they have to ship it to a warehouse in Japan and then ship it to me. And let's just say I'm trying to not buy stuff for a while. So I really want to buy that and a few other things, but I haven't. But I heard it very good. Yeah, so the pervert is equal. The only ones for Japanese eBay. <laughs> yeah, so the pervert is 
just as depressing as Disappearance Diary. Uh, it's about a a trans prostitute living off survival sex in Seattle, again beaten up by homophobes, uh, a client falling in love with her, and it, it's just... Um, yeah, it sounds like it's going to be one of those kind of hands-in-pockets, very bleak things, but it's drawn as uh, like newspaper comics and children's books, and with also a touch of anime style. Like the the main character looks like Snoopy. There's another character who looks like Clifford the Big Red Dog. There's someone who looks like Charlie Brown in there. It's um, it, it does the same thing. It re disarms you, and somehow that makes it hurt a lot more. That is one of the very, very few pieces of written stuff that I've ever cried at. It's really, really rough stuff at some points. And, um, yeah, that was, that was the one I, I thought of when I read Disappearance Diary. And I think it's better, it, I think it's a better book overall than Disappearance Diary. So when you get over your, when you're in rehab for your Japanese Yahoo addiction, uh, when when your life <laughs> when your life has returned, then that can be your like pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah, when I finish Japanese Yahoo Auctions Diary um <laughs> about <laughs> reemerged from the forest with two years worth of garrow. Yeah. I am um, yeah, it does say it sounds great. Yeah, I, I that sounds really compelling. I don't know. Sometimes it, it had one of those it was one of those comics where you you think, is this a prestige bookshop? comic like the one about you know that are like really good but like not actually a great comic but then i looked more into it, it was like oh no this is fully like for somebody that isn't just buying you know the march <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with the march but you know or something else or or uh you know something yeah. about you know the one feel good a year thing but uh no it looks great so i i must uh i must have that on my when i overcome my shame um uh, <laughs> in several years i will i will definitely check that out cool. And I can, oh, okay. I can voice at least that for Disappearance Diary, oh, I can voice at least for Disappearance Diary as someone who dealt with a, uh, a, a father who went through a lot of that stuff. The book rang, it, this is where I, I'm struggling to call him just a horrible person because I think it's one of those, uh, the classic inside outside problem outside of his solipsistic shell. He definitely has done a substantial amount of harm with the things that he relays in the story. But then within that solipsistic shell, you also witness this sort of insane level of um, brutality and confusion where he clearly is harrowed. Um, and I don't know. It, it becomes one of those like, understanding the moment uh, within him, I think is pretty easy through this. Like he relays at least well enough what unapologetic or unapologetically, but also not really making excuses here is like my brain and life got fucked up by how uh, my dream turned into a nightmare of never ending work and potential death by exhaustion. Only alcohol could sucker me, and so I desperately tried to escape, and, and that, that only led to more problems, and I, I, there was something, uh... I, I liked how... I liked how complicated the pain of this was, because I think especially... Especially facing, like, the rise of, of Trump and shitheads like that globally there is a kind of infantile desire for very simple 
moral fiction. Like, we say sometimes that we want fiction to deal with moral problems, but really, we kind of want, and it's wrong, but we want things to say, like, fuck Nazis, shoot them in the balls, blow their heads off with rockets. And that's good, and I agree with that. But I also appreciate this for presenting a more emotionally complex uh, situation. Yeah. And, yeah. Of, of, like, just look inside this moment, and it's really fucked up. But also, you kind of get where it's coming from. Yeah. And plus, we have bands to, say, shoot Nazis and kick them in the balls and drown Richard Spencer in piss now. So we don't need fiction to do that. We can, yeah. Fiction can go, can go a bit harder than that. But, uh, yeah. So, Sean, as someone who clearly likes manga, maybe a bit too much, but where, what other stuff, as, <laughs> as someone who likes this and Good, Goodnight Pun Pun, who's literally read those, and I think, yeah, I read The World is Mine like 10 years ago. I don't know why, but, um, I don't particularly like that, but what other stuff should people check out? Uh, the world is mine. Is good. Um, no, it's not. I, um, <laughs> it is. Uh, let me think. Um, Bakun Young. If you like the world is mine, which you should, I guess. Um, Bakun Young is good. Um, even if you don't, it's very, very. I'm hold on. I'm going to try and think of something that isn't a million euro on eBay. Um, there is a company in the UK, right, called Breakdown Press, and they are doing a great job in conjunction with Ryan Holmberg, who is kind of the preeminent English language, um, Japanese manga and comics historian uh, of reissuing 70s art manga um, uh, by people like Seishi Hayashi and uh, I think they did a Suga one and their stuff, basically anything they have put out, right, is usually quite good and worth, worth pursuing. It's a little bit more abstract than this, but it is... I always recommend it to people because it's one and done because often when you're getting into ma- when getting people into manga, they're like, you're, you know, you can basically go, well, Akira only has six phone books. That's as low as I can get you down to. Um, so like they're one and done and they're quite, they're totally different from, you know, what you would kind of maybe imagine. Um, even though if you've just experienced this and um, yeah, it, it, it might, and pon pon, that's kind of a bit of a skewed impression. Let me think, what else? Um, there is, ba, 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 I guess, um, Lone Wolf and Cub is good. <laughs> if you want to do, have something <laughs> really, really traditional. That one, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, that's, but it's nice, you know. Tra- I will say, speaking of Morse, actually, I find to get somebody into a medium really satisfying, slightly quaint genre fiction appeals to me in any single medium so i've listened to hundreds of hours of old school radio and same kind of thing so master keaton is um a really good i cannot tell you how much i like master keaton um it's uh there's a lot of it but it's kind of like if you read you know you can read it out of order i would it is basically lewis it's not even morse it's lewis that's how much i like it It, it's it's but it's just this like um Oh, it's this guy, what is he? He's kind of like this archaeologist who, who's kind of, he's a, he's a, um, he's an archaeologist, but he has combat training. Um, but he's ends up as like an insurance investigator. So like okay. the whole thing is he shows up 
and there's always like weird things happening. They think, oh, this insurance investigator is a total nerd. But it's never like, you know, he takes out a gun and shoots everybody or he turns into a karate man. It's always like he figures something out or he can see where the soil is different or something like that. It's great. Master Keaton is great. It's just really great. It's ma- it's illustrated by Urasawa, right, who is the guy, I guess, now he did something called Monster which is oh, long, yeah, anime, but it's very yeah. good. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And he did 21st Century Boys, which is, or 20th Century Boys, which is probably the one I'd recommend, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, he, he drew, he drew Master Keaton. So I think, yeah, Master Keaton and Master Keaton, the Breakdown Press stuff. And let me think of one more. Uh, oh, Tokyo Zombie's good because it's just funny and stupid and just very off. Pieced. I think it basically ends up being about a wrestling competition. But yeah, I would I would check out Tokyo Zombie as well, which is one slim volume you could probably buy for a fiver. So I'm not putting you wrong there. I can uh, I can throw a couple on this pile. There's uh I've been working through Blame recently, and that's just in the first whole phone book. You have no fucking idea what's going on, but then in the second one, they start relaying how deliberate the plotting has been and you just didn't have enough information to put it together and it turns into this super fantastic, like, grand-scale science fiction thing. Um, also, the uh, the deluxe editions of Battle Angel Lita are about to finally be fully out. Um, four or five volumes are out right now. The fifth one's coming out this month, I think. Um, and those are really fantastic paper, excellent and binding it. They look terrible. The covers and uh, spines look fucking god-awful, but they also won't fall apart. Uh, Uda by uh, Tezuka is one of the my favorite manga I've ever read. Um, I'm not sure if either of you have read it, but it's a, a telling of the biography of the Buddha. It's uh, super great. And that's the guy who did Astro Boy, right? Is that the same guy, or am I thinking? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He yeah. did a lot of yeah. again. A lot of his seventies stuff got reissued there, like six or seven years ago. I've read. I haven't read Buddha actually, but I, or Phoenix. Phoenix is kind of the one. A pro, I, I maintain, not coincidentally, the one it's hardest to get all of, and the one everyone says is the best. But um, Message to Adolf is really good, um, and there's a few yeah. other really nice one so yeah yeah tezuka is definitely someone to to check out especially because he miraculously is both you know foundational to the entire art form but also like interesting and weird um uh, right up into the into the 70s and 80s so yeah yeah he's worth checking out too he's uh he was he was my inroads uh to manga to anyone else who uh had sort of the experience in me of running into uh, from the outside, and this is saying, uh, manga nerds threw me off a of manga for a while, which is not actually a high because I was uh, a high school metal nerd, which is just as insufferable in different ways. Um, so that was pot calling the kettle black. Uh, I can I can see that now as an adult, but um, yeah, Tezuka wound up being my my inroads because of the fact that. He's as foundational as like reading early Superman or reading early Fantastic Four or early Spider-Man for Western comics. Really like the core of where the ideas would go. But as Sean was saying, also it's good. It's not just like yeah. reading it for historical quality. There's there's these really cool, neat ideas. Um, 
the last one is uh, they're finally releasing an English version of Kaiji. Gareth, let me pitch you Kaiji. Okay, go A man ahead. with an overly sharp face. Sharp a man with an face. overly sharp face is forced by the Yakuza to play rock, paper, scissors, the death on a boat, and then his life gets worse. And that's Kaiji. You made that up. That sounds Kaiji is the best. No. <laughs> Kaiji is so good, and that is a brilliant description of it, and you shouldn't find out any more and commit your life to reading it immediately. It's so good. How, how do you it's how do you spell that? Fucking insane. Is that like uh K I K A I J I. Yeah. Like Kaiju but with an I. Okay. Yes. It's, a, it's, it's a part right. of oh, the man. Grand it's so good. world of of going back to gambling fiction. Uh, I forget the name of the creator. He made one called Ten, and within Ten, he runs into a mythical Mahjong legend named Akagi, who had his own spin-off series, which, by the way, is the greatest gambling tale of all time. That's the one I told you about, where he literally uh, bets all of his blood against Dracula in order to kill him. <laughs> oh, man. That's the stuff. Like that's uh, that, that, You wouldn't get that in uh, alt, alt fiction, you know, or alt lit or whatever. You know, this yeah. is why you need oh, a God, variety no. of mediums, you know? <laughs> Um, and then within within Akagi, he winds up running into Kaiji uh, just incidentally, um, and Kaiji became its own spinoff after that. And then from Kaiji, there is also a, uh, a uh, actually there are a number of other spinoffs. Like there's one just for Dracula, um, uh, and then there is a, a fourth one called Mister Tanagawa. Which uh, is getting turned into a manga right now. It's or uh, an anime right now. Oh, it's no, up right yeah, 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 I saw that. yeah. 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 No. It's, yeah oh, it's great. a fucking wild ride. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, and Kaiji's fu- it had never been translated into English before, and the rights just got picked up and should be dropping early next year. It is one of the only things I've read, maybe in the last. Well, no, one of the things I can really remember in the last couple of years I've read that I gasped audibly several times during reading it and it's 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 about rock paper scissors i want to <laughs> emphasize the first half of it is about rock paper scissors and i still went oh my god when i realized because he slowly realizes how more and more complex this actually is. Oh, it's so good it's it's just it's the best <laughs> i'm so glad you mentioned that Matt, because that's such a good recommendation kaiji everybody okay maybe we'll have maybe we'll do that on the show sometime um, but uh, yeah. So let's go out with a song. Um, but before that, uh, Sean, where can people find you on Twitter and other places? Uh, I um no chorus is my name on Twitter. Um, and it's just quite boring tweets, I guess. I'll be honest. Yeah, and, pretty decent. Um, I mean that. Oh, thanks. Ayn <laughs> Rand one went uh, did some numbers, so uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm not going to find another hundred videos of people saying I am John Galt anytime soon, but I guess that will be my legacy, all right, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, uh, no chorus, and also All Units is the name of the podcast, A-L-L space U-N-I-T-S. Put that into iTunes or Pocket Casts or Stitcher, you will get All Units, and on that feed is both... As I said to you, way too convoluted, but All Units and Calling All Units are both on that feed. So there's 33 episodes of All Units so far. They're made to be listened to. You can listen to them in any order, but they are 
sequenced, you know, into several series, and I keep a list of the films and stuff. And uh, if you, even if the podcast is shit, you still get like good films to watch out of it. So why not give it a listen? And the other half has probably one of my favorite uh, explanations of the chill slash lo-fi hip hop beats to chill out to, or whatever it's called. That was oh yeah that that actually got me listening nice. to that at work so um so you've you converted me to listening to chill slash hip lo-fi hip hop beats if you had told me a year ago that on a giant TV screen in my office I would have convinced everybody that a looping anime woman and instrumental hip hop with occasion vocal samples would be the consensus thing everybody would want on I would have. Not believed you, but that is the case. Uh, that stuff is very addictive. I know, right? And it works. It does help me like re- relax and study. It's it is the exact level of non music you need to produce stuff. I think. Yeah, but um, yeah, it uh, it's a really really good podcast, um, folks at home. Thank you. So um, do do listen to it. It's very good. Uh, but you've got a second song to play us out today. And when you tell us about Noose Rot. Um, I don't, you know what? <laughs> I, I, Noose Rot, I, I, when you said, oh, you, you might play them on the show before, I had this moment of being like, did I hear about them on this show? That might be the case. But the reason Noose Rot, which is just like really angry, like really, really good, noisy, I guess death metal. I don't know. I'm terrible at genres when it comes to, to metal. I, I just kind of, yeah. Uh, but, very good, very noisy. The reason it's stuck in my head is when you search them on YouTube, there is a woman doing a reaction video to it, of all, like, which is just boggles my mind that this, because, you know, we're all, I mean, especially everybody on this podcast is familiar with listening to metal on YouTube with a weird skull man on the cover with 500 views and going like, oh, this is quite good. Um, blackened crust or whatever. But like, it's just this woman doing a reaction to it and it's, my favorite, like she, it was just her staring at the screen, and just when it goes out of like the first bit or whatever, she says, "This is just noise to me. This is just I can't make any." And it just made it stick in my head so much because I thought, "Why, why did you listen to this?" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's. Uh, that, I recommend that YouTube video. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. That's the exact thing I'm gonna be watching after this call ends. And I'll probably like sample it as part of the uh, show as well. And, uh, God, it's uh, yeah, she did well. I can see why she did it. One hundred eighty-seven views, numbers like I that. You, you would listen to some news. You story. can't say no. Yeah, that's three figures, man. Um, She's putting that on the YouTube rack. But uh, yeah, so we could smoke them if you got them. Yeah, so we've got to listen to some Noose Rot, and you can come back for the next episode where I'm going to be talking to a fellow named Corey Pine, who is also a podcaster, but primarily he's also a writer. He's been in The Baffler. He's got a book out about going to Silicon Valley and trying to secretly unionize people, but also about like the proto-alt-right. And it's, it's a really good book, actually. Live, live, work, live, work, 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 die, it's called. And that's up next week. And then we got uh, the new Gary Steingart. It's probably going to be bad, but it could be bad in a funny way. And there's all kinds of stuff ha- uh, happening in books, as there always is. And um, yeah, and you definitely could, should 
uh, check out all units. It's it's a good one. But um, but yeah, and uh, see you in the next